Hey. Hey. <laughs> I have so much yes. to tell you. I know. That's why I'm trying. Okay. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. You teased me. That's oh. Corinne. I'm Sabrina. I'm continuing to tease you, Corinne, leaving you hanging, keeping you on your toes. Ow. It was cruel because you texted me. So- are you okay? I don't know. Did a ghost <laughs> just punch you in the chest? What's happening here? Ow. That really hurt. I just got like a random Body like deteriorating. It felt like something stabbed me in my rib cage. Okay. Maybe your astral body is trying to remove itself from your physical form at the moment. Well, that's very possible because I connected to my third eye the other day. Okay. I'll tell you the whole thing. Because I told I teased Corinne Please. the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, I had the most incredible experience. And then she was like, oh my gosh, you texted I need to me hear. at like midnight your time, my yeah. time. And I didn't see it until the next day, but it was like, oh my God, I had the most amazing experience. And I was like, oh, tell me everything. And then we got on the phone yesterday and I was like, what happened? And you were like, I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've been waiting so long for this. <laughs> it's so funny because yes, I, w- I want to tell you so bad, but I want to tell our listeners just as badly. And I want you to have an authentic reaction when so, I share it. Yes. Yes. So I have to wait for for everyone ev- else to be told with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, everyone I've told you I've Oh, hi Lay. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I started seeing this man named Joe who is magic. He is a magical man. I'm going to it's called Next Level Holistic Therapy in Los Angeles and Joe is magic hands. He has this intuition and connection to the other side that is incredible. And he created this method of postural therapy that is a combination of so many different practices. He's studied the body. He used to like fight. I think I've said all of this before, but it's a combination Mm -hmm. of like Reiki, pressure point work, um, massage, all of this stuff. He can immediately when I walk in, he picks up on tension. His body reacts to my energy. He knows where I'm holding tensions in my body. And when he's doing the work, the body communicates with him. Like there was one area where he was, you know, working on my body and he felt this motherly energy. And it wasn't me being motherly. It was like about my mom and where I held information about my childhood in my body. So it's like super fascinating. It's so wild that he knows. It's not yes. just that he can sense that something's there, but he'll be able to tell you basically what it is. Yes. And he's he's a therapist. It, it's incredible. <laughs> Slash mind reader. My, truly. Energy reader. And It's funny, when I walked in, he said he started burping and he felt like tingling down his spine. And I've been having really, really bad stomach issues this past week. So I didn't know if like the burping for him was picking up on my indigestion. So anyway, we're working and I asked him as we were going if he could tell me what he was hearing and what my body was communicating to him. And I started telling him also like what I was feeling and they were very similar And I don't know how we got to this point, but I started feeling my energy outside of my body. Like, you know how Mm. the uh, psychic we went to said you had buzzing from your hands? Mm -hmm. I felt that everywhere in my body, like especially my chest and my arms and my hands. And it felt like my soul was here, like outside of my body. I could feel the energy around me. Whoa. 
And that is so wild. Your astral body was just it, was it your astral body or was it your aura? I expand, don't know. Expanding? I don't know. I was closing my eyes while doing this and you're doing like intense breathing. So it is a bit meditative. And I started seeing images as my body was like this energy was radiating outside of me. And I started seeing images and I felt my I felt vertigo in a way. I felt like all of my energy was spinning mm-hmm. and I felt like I was falling off the table, but it wasn't. Wait, what were the images that you were seeing? So, okay. I saw a bunch and he basically was like, you're going to okay. see a bunch of images and it is, and you just have to ask whoever it is, your, your guides to show you and give you the messages. You can ask them specific questions. Maybe they'll answer it. And it might be confusing and it might be hard to put together, but write them down. Like I was like, I need to come go home and journal all of this stuff. So I was seeing a green coffee mug. I saw a yellow school bus. I saw, hmm. this is the coolest part. I saw, I think I saw my spirit guides. I saw four people on the left and they were not really people. They were white shapes, but you could see the types of body shapes that they had. And then on my, this is like the astral when we, when we had the aura photography and you on your left side had someone. Yes. Right. Yes. So on my left side, I saw these four figures and on my right side, I saw another singular figure. They were all very similar, had like white shapes, had energy, like bright light type of beings. The one on the Mm -hmm. right was wearing a hat and it almost felt like, you know how in Harry Potter when he's looking into the mirror and he sees his parents with their arm, their hands on his shoulder behind him. Mm -hmm. It felt like that. Like it felt like these are figures who are behind me and on my shoulders and watching over me, even though I could see them in front of me. And I started asking them for guidance and asking them to show me images. And as that was happening, I continued to have this energy feeling where I felt like it was almost a tornado of energy. And Mm -hmm. Joe afterwards was like, I think we saw into your third eye when you were explaining your energy and like the, the rotation and all of that. He was like, I started seeing your planetary system and I saw your third eye and I think we tapped into it. And he was like, I even saw what these humanoid figures but they weren't human like i think these figures that we were seeing are unearthly beings or maybe they were of this realm before i don't know but he or you're a star seed and your thought is from other planets i know that was my thought too but yeah i mean there were a bunch of images and it's hard because i i don't know what they all meant but it really made me think right that I can tap into that a lot more. And the more that I do, I will be able to put together pieces Mm -hmm. because there were other images. So what was he doing to you as that happened? It's all the pressure points. So he would find specific spots based on the way he was feeling and would feel the spots on my body. And he would push Mm -hmm. and he puts pressure in like really hard into that spot. And then I had to breathe through it. And like my body releases the tension in that spot. And I can't remember how he explained it, but basically he was saying our bodies store things and energy and experiences in certain places. Mm -hmm. And if we can find a way to release them, we become more grounded as a person and we're not holding on to it. He was 
the way he was describing it's almost like a kidney stone. Like you have to pass it. <laughs> like it crystallizes in your body and you hold it. It's mm-hmm. um if you've read the book The Body Keeps the Score, it's kind of like that idea of we hold on to things physically. But it was incredible. And I left being like, I just had a very, very spiritual spiritual experience. Joe said he hasn't had a session like that in a very long time. And that was my second session. He was like, you clearly are already very in tune and open to the experience of connecting to your spirit guides and the other side, which I was like, so flattered by. I was like, that's the best compliment I've ever received. And it's such a good compliment, but you are powerful. Like you have all of these dreams, you know, that you've astral projected. You just didn't know how to tap into consciously tap into it, which makes me now want to meditate more. And I, you know, I went to this session two days ago and have I meditated since? No, but (laughs) it's so hard to make yourself do it. And I have the conscious thought of wanting to do it. So now I need to put it into practice I have my next session on Monday, so I will keep you posted and let you know how it goes. I cannot believe this happened. I know. This feels like when you watch a documentary like or like watching Doctor Strange or something and then there's the the whirling and the colors and the images and like your body coming out. It just sounds so wild and I I totally – your eyes are closed when you're experiencing Mm -hmm. this, right? Yeah. But I assume his were open yeah. and he was still seeing and feeling all these things with you. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. It's incredible. Incredible. I, honestly, you and I talked about this, Corinne, but I'm going to ask him if he would be open to coming on the podcast in some shape or form just because he has so much knowledge and he has yes. had so many experiences He's just this like really peaceful human. And it's fascinating because he picks up so many people's energies that Mm -hmm. I think it would be very easy for him to let that affect him. But he's just, you see him and you just want to hug him. And I do. I hug him every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So fascinating. What are you supposed to expect out of going to him as a chiropractor? So there's both physical. postural therapist. I think a lot of people go for physical benefits. Like the woman who told Mm -hmm. me about it, who was at my trauma treatment program, who works there, she's a therapist. She was supposed to get wrist surgery and she really didn't want to get the surgery, but like her, it was just, she was in a really bad position. So she just started researching different places that she can go to try to do rehab for it before ultimately doing the therapy. She found Joe Mm -hmm. and she did not need to get the surgery. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. It's like we know we know someone who knows someone. It's like someone who knows. It's like <laughs> someone's mom who was supposed to basically get surgery and was being put on all these medications for some sort of knee or ankle ailment. Mm-hmm. And I remember she just as an experiment had cut out dairy just as like a dietary thing and everything else in her body went away and she yeah. didn't need to do any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. It was just gone. Isn't that wild? I mean, it is. there's a uh, St- Dr. Steve Gundry has a, I don't know necessarily, it's it's like a diet, but it's also a lifestyle called plant paradox. And it's very much about mm-hmm. the bacteria in your body and what you eat impacts every part of your body because yeah. like there are different foods that have bacteria that impact you in a negative way. Like your gut health yep. is connected to your mental health and all i mean it's just so fascinating the science that goes into yes all i mean think about me too like i was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and then i stopped eating wheat and i was fine right 
It's fascinating. I was supposed to be paying $2,000 for the medication every month. And I was like, okay, well, well, this isn't going to go well. And I just so happened to cut out wheat like a few months later and saved myself a whole lot of money. Yes. And I also want to be clear, this is not that we're anti-medicine because I am on quite a few antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines. So no, but it's a mixture. Yeah, it's finding you the balance. You got to figure out what works. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah. And plants are medicine. Yeah. And so if you can find something that, that makes sense that works, and also it's cheaper. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just economically, financially. Yeah. yeah. It's, I'd rather lean on some plants if they do the work yeah. that they need to do yeah. over paying for But if you need meds. prescription meds, that's okay. I have them. Yeah. I love Advil. Everybody does. Yeah. Pops a, pops a few Tylenol Advanced Strength or Extra <laughs> Strength or whatever yesterday. Dayquil, Nyquil. Big fan. Dayquil. Oh, zinc. Oh, yeah. During the winter, all through the, the winter. Zinc is great for you. I'm all up in those little tablets. <laughs> Popping zinc all day long. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. You ask me to stick out my tongue, it will be orange <laughs> from those zinc tablets every day. Want to hang out with me? Bring your zinc. That's kind of like when I go out, I have a pack of Tums in my purse at all times. Do you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Alka Seltzer, Tums, Lactaid. It's the. It's, oh, Lactaid. What'd you say? Oh. Oh, and acid. What? I thought you said and acid. Oh. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> Surprise. Things I didn't know about you. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, my party. Yeah. My staples are antacids, Tums, mm-hmm. and or Pepsid, and Lactaid, and Gasex. Those are. Perfect. Must-haves. Trifecta. The trifecta. It's always a triangle yep. here at Two Girls, One Ghost. Mm-hmm. Mine's just Benadryl, Benadryl, Benadryl because I accidentally <laughs> eat something I'm allergic to frequently. Yes. That <laughs> happens too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I would love to talk to your postural therapist and I want to go to him. Yeah. Someone did send a recommendation. Let me see if I can find this quickly. I haven't been to them, but I did remember when you were talking about this last time, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's someone in New England who does this. And someone did reach out. One of our listeners reached out and said that in New Hampshire, if you go, there's someone who does this or something like it. And it's body and mind PT. Oh. So I guess for anyone who's in New England who is curious to try something, I haven't tried it. So right. Vouch for it. But fascinating. Yeah. If, but if you yeah, do, this, let me know. Jen had recommended it okay. and said it's similar to what you were talking about. It's someone who who can like feel your trauma. Wow. Those people <laughs> are so magical. Oh, it's so oh, – yeah. Well, Joe said he this is up his alley, so I'll try to get him on here. Perfect. Incredible. Yes. I can't wait for you to start actual projecting. <laughs> I'll come visit you That's at gonna night. That's going to be on Patreon. Our, oh, when we do our monthly Patreon, just come on over here. We'll do it together. <laughs> You'll just actual project to me. We'll sit together and we'll play games. We'll do Mad Libs. <laughs> I'll sit closing my eyes and my astral soul will come come join you. Yeah. What's if you could astral project? I know that this is like this is I don't want to get us in trouble here because I know obviously there's a lot of ethics behind if you're able to astral project or read someone's feelings or be a psychic and and have some clairvoyance. But if there was one naughty thing you could do and you wouldn't regret it and feel bad about yourself or you wouldn't have any repercussions or there just pretend there wasn't anything bad about doing it. Okay, what would well, you do? Th- this isn't naughty. This is more of just a dream. I guess it could be naughty because it's very against the rules 
if you were physically doing this, but I would go to Area 51. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Although I wonder if they have like force fields against astral beings because they they know of aliens. (gasps) What? Okay, wait. What? Yes, they probably (laughs) do because this is me being like full-on conspiracy theorist on the side of TikTok. It's what I get served. There's a woman, and of course, I don't have her name or anything. Let me see if I saved it to my spooky folder on TikTok. But there was a woman who was talking about how she does remote viewing, and she's really talented in remote viewing. So I don't really know the difference between remote viewing and astral projecting because to me, it kind of sounds I wonder if they're like within the same branch of of spiritual activities. Yeah, perhaps. Um, Okay, of course, I didn't save it. So I have no idea who this is. But maybe someone else will and they'll be able to correct us or or point us in the right direction. But this person whose video I was watching on TikTok said that they're really talented in remote viewing. And they had gone to, I don't know, South Pole or North Pole, like somewhere that's kind of mysterious and, and don't not super populated and that they found this sort of like hole and went towards the hole and went into a facility and were met by astral guards that chased them through they chased her like through a bunch of she said she had to like pop herself into a lot of different places because they were literally chasing her through everything like she would I, i mean i she didn't describe this but she would she was there and then she was like oh i gotta run so she like popped into paris and then they were in paris and then she had to like keep popping into different places until she, they, she shook her tail. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she was like, whatever is in that facility, this was the first time she had ever encountered it. So she was like, there are astral guards. There are remote viewing guards here. Like it is spiritually protected from people seeing what's happening. This needs to be a movie. Spooky spooky. That is really spooky. But kind of makes sense. If mm-hmm. they if they are protecting something in the paranormal supernatural realm, it I it leads me to believe that they then have access to people who are very spiritually in tune to protect such things. Yeah. It reminds me so much of Stranger Things yeah. too, right? Like yeah, the- L in Stranger Things, that's basically what she does yep. or was trained to do. Yep. So I guess it kind of already is a movie. It's a television show and it's called Stranger Things and there's what, four, yes. t- four seasons? Yeah, but <laughs> I, I'm imagining it in a different way. So I'll write it. Yeah. Don't worry. It's cu- coming soon. Stranger Things meets meets the Looper. movie Jumper. Oh, yeah. And Jumper. That's what I was thinking. Jumper. I got Looper wrong. Someone else corrected oh, well. it. Was, it was – well, they're, this, they're similar. Yeah. Looper is like the time loops yeah. and Jumper's the pictures and you jump into yes. the picture. Okay. What is up, ghoulies? This is part two of the Tower of London history and hauntings. And it's so funny. History and mystery. History, mystery. Ooh, I like that. So I really thought I can contain all of the history into part one. But then, you know, Mm -hmm. I had this moment of that is hilarious, Sabrina, that I thought this was my inner dialogue. You thought that you could contain 1,000 years of history into a <laughs> one-hour-long episode? Ha-ha. Nice try. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. Yeah, no, 10 pages is not going to cut No. It. <laughs> so I have another 15 pages. Quite a bit of it is history. And I still will never contain or be able to divulge the entirety of 1,000 years to all of you. So disclaimer. But – It's still really fascinating, and I tried to find the really important tidbits that then set up the mystery and the paranormal in a perfect, in a nice way. 
<laughs> so if you're listening to this and you have not listened to part one, I encourage you to go back to episode 209 to listen to part one. If you don't want to, cool. You do you. I'll give you a little bit of a recap of where we left off. Because if you're like me, I can hardly remember what I ate for breakfast or any meal of the day. (laughs) I also probably forget what happened in the last episode. But in part one, we spoke about William the Conqueror, the passing of hands of power, the death, the coups, the prisoners, the escapes, the violence, and the murder of the two princes. So today... And also just how sweet that jail being imprisoned was for certain people. For certain people, correct. It was like a five-star resort for some of them. Others, it was not so uh, great. It just depended, I guess, on your status as a person. Yes. We also talked about the beef eaters in part one. So if you didn't listen to part one and you want to know what the heck that is, go back. (laughs) Today, we will continue with, drumroll please, more violence. More death, more prisoners, and more murders. With That should just be the definition of history when you look up (laughs) history in in the dictionary. It's that. Or it's like, refer to Game of Thrones. because (laughs) It's very similar. There's also going to be a dash of incest or accusations of incest. We don't know. But there was also a lot of incest back then. Like, marry your cousin to keep the bloodlines. Yeah, the royal bloodline sort of situation. Yeah. The story of the Tower of London, actually, I made this connection and I kind of love it. It's kind of like the movie Saw, where everyone could survive, but because of selfish desires, you know, people end up dying and there's only really one survivor. Ah, man. Yeah. So I began part one with a story, so I will begin part two with a story as well. Once upon a time, there was a spiteful, round and tubby king riddled with gout. His name was Henry, and he was a menace on society, taking and taking, never giving. He tore through people like a girl named Sabrina, tore through Twizzlers. That's me. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do you have some Twizzlers next to you? This is the perfect time to like break open a new pack. (laughs) Should I just be eating Twizzlers this whole episode? Oh my gosh, I would. Don't. Don't tempt me. This king was never happy. His advisors misled him. His wives betrayed him. The church questioned him. That was his narrative because he was never to blame. Everyone else was in the way and he was determined to plow them over or behead them. Mm -hmm. King Henry offered quite a few notable changes to the country he ruled, but many of his actions were done with selfish intent. He ruled for 36 years married six times, and died a moody, paranoid, and famously obese man. That is a, the children's Quite the legacy. story that I am writing. <laughs> but <laughs> if you listen to part one, you also know that the story I told in the beginning is no tale, but a true story. It is only a tiniest fraction of the story of King Henry VIII. And I will just up front, I- I'll say it. I despise the man. I hate him. Do not like him. Mm. Yep. Sounds like he gave many, many reasons to not like Correct. So. So in the next 20 to 30 minutes, I'm going to talk about King Henry VIII and his wives. I wish I could only talk about his wives because they seem like the most important part to me and I want to give them their due diligence and I will speak about them, but it is really important to also understand King Henry VIII's story 
in order to understand the history of the Tower of London. Mm -hmm. So this is where we resume our story. Henry VIII was born the second son of Henry VII. Henry VII has been in history viewed as a tactful and intelligent king. It is said that he was wise and prudent. His mind was brave and resolute and never, even at moments of danger, did his mind desert him. So Henry VII spent years protecting the throne and aligning things for his eldest son, Arthur, to ascend the throne when the time came. So he spent a lot of time prepping Arthur for the throne. And while he did that, he basically used Henry VIII as a little bit of a pawn. So he hmm. would put, he would bequeath many titles onto Henry and kind of in a way to protect their power, which was a tactful and smart strategy in terms of protecting their power and their royal blood and whatnot, but also a, a bit selfish and strange. So at just two yeah. years old, Henry, who was then become Henry VIII, was named Constable of Dover Castle and Lord Warden of the Cinque Ports. At three, he was appointed Earl Marshal of England and Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. And then he was made a Knight of Bath shortly thereafter. Then he was named Duke of York, et cetera, et cetera. The titles went on. He's like three years old at this point. Whoa. So he is powerful baby. Yes. <laughs> powerful baby. And then Henry grows up watching his older brother, Arthur, prepare for his destiny as king, which meant that he kind of was the could be the wild child. There was less expectation, less importance put upon him, even though he had all these you titles. Know, regardless of whether you are of royal blood and inheriting countries, properties, policies, whatever, mm -hmm. I feel like that is just the standard with families. The first child is always the one that wears the burden of responsibility. Not in and my family. And then the young, young – <laughs> Well, you had a unique family. <laughs> I, the, in my family, the middle child was the – my sister was the wild child. She pushed a lot of boundaries. Wow. So I was the, I'll be good. That's – yeah. That's – well, I guess maybe it's different when there's three. Yeah, I don't know. The three kids versus the two. But I'm just thinking of the um, – never mind. I'm forgetting all of the words. Encanto. There's oh. a whole song about the oldest child like wearing the weight of the family and protecting everyone and being so serious and like doing the chores hmm. and wearing the burden. Interesting. I haven't seen that movie yet. Okay. So Henry's brother, Arthur, married Catherine of Aragon at 15 years old. Catherine was the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabella, who were the Spanish rulers at the time. But very sadly, just a few months later, Arthur died from the sweating disease, leaving 10-year-old mm. Henry next in line to be king. So, Can I tell you a gross fact about Queen Isabella in Spain? Yes, please. It was said that she showered or bathed, I guess, so infrequently that there's now a joke that when you're in her castle, you can still smell the stench of her vagine. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's what they told me when I was touring there. So, Well, why does it have to be of her Poor vagine? Girl. Why can't it just be her entire scent generally? Because I think it, there was just a lot of layers and there was probably the most heat and sweat coming from that gentle area. Okay, well. And you know what? My vagine was sweating a lot too when I was in that castle. There was not enough AC. draft coming through. Like it was, yeah. I was, I too was nasty. You know what? I think everyone smelt back then. That was just the norm. Yeah. Bathing was, what? what's that? Some 
More than others. Yes. <laughs> okay, so 10-year-old Henry is like, oh, here you are. Now you're the next king. And what what do we do? So they basically are like, hey, 10-year-old Henry, you should marry Arthur's widow, Catherine. So he's 10 and he marries Catherine, but they were not allowed to live together because he's 10. And it wasn't until his father... How old is Catherine? She's an adult. I think she's an adult. I mean, Arthur was 15 when they married, so she must be like 15 to 17, something around that age range. Oh, unless she was like 10. No, she was definitely Who knows? older. They were the same age? Yeah. Okay. So, man. So Henry VII died when Henry was 17 years old. So on June 23rd of 1509, King Henry VIII, and his wife, Catherine of Aragon, walked from the Tower of London to Westminster Abbey for their coronation, which began the reign of King Henry VIII. Two days after his coronation, Henry arrested two of his father's ministers, and thus began the reign of executions. If someone disagreed with Henry, Mm. stood in his way, or just annoyed him, they were often executed, because what better way to not deal with anyone else, you know? You can't just block them on Instagram. No. So executions became Henry VIII's middle name, and there was one thing he desired more than anything in the world, a male heir. Sadly, Catherine endured some of the most painful childbearing experiences. She gave birth to a stillborn girl, then a son who died seven weeks after his birth, and then had two more stillborns. And it wasn't until 1516 that she gave birth to a girl, Mary. Wow. Henry was displeased, and I i mean, I'll tell – basically, I was really frustrated in doing this research because there were a lot of articles that were like, Henry was a altogether great husband and really loved his wives and got them jewelry and really? gave them houses and all this stuff. And I'm like, F all of you. If That to me, there are a lot of abusers who are really good at charming and wooing and on the outside seeming like they're great gifting their betrothed their wives their partners gifts and seeming like oh look how loving they are but it's all an act just because they buy you jewelry or give you a house does not mean that they are a good partner that if anything is like they're trying to make up as a manipulation tactic yeah to keep you to make you stay yes and also, you couldn't ask any of his wives because they're probably watching him behead everyone. Yes. What are you going to say? I'm actually unhappy in this marriage. I think that he could be doing more. Yeah. I don't feel respected. Hell no. Hell You're like, no. He, he is the king. He is the king. Like, everything's yes. fine. Everything's dandy. Just survive. Survive. Yes. Scary. So I just want to say that up front, Henry is an abusive king, husband, all of the above. Mm-hmm. So... Murderer. Yes, murderer. Actually, I feel like he's the worst serial killer to ever exist. Hot take. <laughs> what did what did he do with the beheaded bodies? Because the king from last episode, you said that they would like quarter them and put their body yeah. parts on. I think there was a bit of the that. Town square. There was a bit of that, but not everyone. I think okay. it depended on what role they played in his, I don't know, dis- disliking. So he's a terrible husband. He's also a terrible judiciary. He had mistresses on the side, which was very common for kings. Uh, One of his mistresses, Elizabeth Blount, actually gave birth to Henry's illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy. It's also believed that he fathered two more children with Mary Boleyn, Catherine's lady-in-waiting. But since those children were illegitimate, they were not considered to be heirs to the throne. And so Henry's like, how can I bear a male heir? And 
he started to believe that he was cursed because in the Old Testament, it is said that marrying the widow of one's brother was banned. But as I said, King Henry VIII married Arthur's widow, Catherine. Mm-hmm. So Catherine had another stillborn, and then Henry, basically a girl named Anne, enters Henry's life. Ah, uh, so like I said, I think I know who you're yeah, talking. Do you? About. <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> shocker. So like I said, King Henry VIII was having an affair with Mary Boleyn, and Mary had a younger sister, Anne Boleyn. She was 25 at the time and a part of the Queen's entourage. And despite Henry's attempts to woo and seduce and bed Anne, Anne refused. She turned him down at every chance because she was like, I don't want to be a mistress. I don't want to be your mistress. Wow. She fancied Henry and she was, you know, interested, but was not willing to become another woman in his path. You know, Mm -hmm. she held herself to a different regard. Which is kind of a risky move, too. Absolutely. I I don't know. He just seems so execution happy that. I'd be scared to ever stand my ground. And he's a big, violent man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I mean, yeah, who knows? Someone else might have said the same thing and it just didn't go, didn't result in the same manner that it did for Anne. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's so, like, it's so fascinating because we'll never actually know how things played out. Everything we know about history is because of letters, documents, records, which could be falsified and are written by people. Super biased. Yeah, super biased. Like the king probably approved everything that was written about him. My high school diary was half lies. (laughs) And I would read it and I'd be like, what? I don't remember that. And then at the end of the passage, I'd be like, just kidding. Liar. Liar. So (laughs) yeah, you can't can't trust anyone's personal diaries either. Right. Right. Okay, so Anne Boleyn, I've talked about before. She is one of the most infamous women in English history. I also did an entire episode on her. It's episode 160, so I'm not going to dive into everything here. But if you want to know more about her, go back and listen to that episode. As a little bit of a refresher, Anne and Mary's father was a diplomat who charmed many. And Margaret of Austria was so taken by him that she granted young Anne Boleyn a place in her household which basically set Anne on this path towards the royal family of England. She was well-poised and highly educated, which was not common of the time. Like, she was fluent in Latin and French and just had a lot of opinions about the current state of the world. She was a maid of honor to the French Queen Mary and then Queen Claude. And then Anne was sent to England, where she was set to marry her cousin, James Butler. Mm. He was living at the English court at the time, so Anne joined him there, and it was around this same time that her sister Mary married a noble, but also at the same time was having an affair with King Henry VIII. Jeez. So there's a lot of just like, how did King Henry have time for this? There's so much violence, so much sex. So much. Was he doing anything for his country? Because I feel like he doesn't have time between all the drama he's creating. Yeah, I mean, I bet he just made demands and other people went and did them. And if they didn't do them correctly, he was like off with their head. (sighs) Right. So Anne is set to marry James, her cousin, but falls in love with a man named Henry Percy. They wanted to marry and they like, thank goodness. Don't marry your cousin folks. (laughs) Yes. We're we're also not supportive of that. (laughs) No, we are not. Take your pills and don't fuck your cousin. (laughs) It's a simple policy to live by. Two rules. (laughs) 
though Sabrina is frequently bringing up cousin love. <laughs> cousin we fucking. We're not pro-cousin love. We are not. This is from the 1500s. Also, mm-hmm. Corinne, I'm not bringing it up frequently. I'm only bringing it up in this episode. I want to clarify that. <laughs> I was, okay, okay. I heard you say that and I didn't question it, but then I was like, wait a second. When else have I brought up cousin fucking? <laughs> no, no, it's just in this episode. It's just every time it you say it, I'm like, oh, like I'm I have a reaction yeah, to it. Yeah, as so you it's should. Just feeling very Yeah. G- good. <laughs> good job, brain. <laughs> Uh, so Anne falls in love with this man, Henry Percy, and the two of them are like, let's go get married. We're so in love. They tried to marry in secrecy, but Henry's father refused it. And Henry's father sent Henry away. I guess Henry was promised to someone else. And that was why it was not approved. Anne was sent away. Mm -hmm. Henry was sent away. Very Shakespearean and, and heartbreaking. But a few years later, Anne returns to court in service of Catherine of Aragon. And it was during this time that Henry's eyes fell upon Anne. He became so enamored. And because Anne was like, "Mm, nope, not going to be your mistress, Henry was like, all right, I'm going to annul my marriage to Catherine. He wanted Anne and could not have her unless they were married. Marrying Anne would accomplish two things for Henry VIII. One, he would be able to bed her. And two, Anne was in her childbearing years still. So perhaps she could help produce the male heir he'd always wanted. Mm. But getting an annulment was a tricky task. Before this was Henry's desire, he was a devout Catholic. He even refuted Martin Luther's church reforms and was hailed the defender of faith, which is ironic because Henry VIII is responsible for the division of church and state. And all the commandments are just out the door. Oh, suddenly he's uh, that's where he draws the line is just annulling a marriage, but he can have sex outside of the marriage he can kill his neighbor he can (laughs) yeah yeah what it's it's kind of like yeah where people just apply the rules that they want to take and then nothing else matters Yeah. yeah it's selfish so henry requests that his advisor get the church annulment approval so he can freely remarry anne boleyn but his advisor failed so he sentenced him to death and accused him of treason And then, ultimately, Henry is like, wait a second. Why am I waiting on the church to approve something? I am the king. F the church. No one has more power than me. And so he was like, I don't need the approval of the church. And he dismissed Catherine from court. And in 1533, he married Anne Boleyn. In the same year, Anne gave birth to a daughter, Elizabeth, not a male heir. The church was, like, so furious that the Vatican excommunicated Henry in the same year, so 1533. And this began the terrible tension between the church and the crown and has been called the Reformation Parliament. So in this- Oh, because he- Wanted- Just remarried. To remarry. Remarried who he wanted. Yes, because he- Wow. I wonder if the church regrets this. If they're like, if we just let that one thing slide. No, I mean- Way back then. I think Henry would have found other ways to do things because Anne was also Protestant. So there's a lot of influence that she had in the Mm. Reformation of church and state. But so in this Reformation Parliament, a couple things happened. Anne's daughter, Elizabeth, was recognized as the heir. So Catherine's daughter, Mary, was bumped. Sorry, see ya. So Elizabeth 
is now recognized as heir. Henry and any future king was recognized as the head of the Church of England. And hmm. England's monasteries were all closed and sold off to adding to Henry's wealth. So a lot of monks and religious... Is it such a bad thing to be bumped off of being an heir? I feel like in all the television shows I watch, it seems like a pretty sweet position to not be in the direct line, but to just be like the cousin or the nephew that has a house way out in the hinterlands and you just have to come into town every once in a while. In our perspective, yes, absolutely. But... Back then, yeah, like leave me alone with my chickens in the in the hills. Like, well, that's fine. That is your dream to go live in the woods with all your animals and plants and stuff. <laughs> with my chickens in the hills. Yes, <laughs> I mean it. Probably depends on the person, right? Like some people would probably be like, "Oh, I don't want this at all," but others are like, "This is my destiny." And if they power, yeah, money, yeah. So in this, many monks and religious figures were executed and sent to the stocks. So basically, like put in those the head and your arms. Um, you know, where you're on display for everyone Mm -hmm. and they would be left there. Yes. Anne was incredibly intelligent, like I said. She was very well educated and she was not one to just sit there and be pretty. She had a lot of opinions. She gave her opinions and was not a... Manipulate the manipulator. Exactly. Yes, Anne. Um, She was like, you know what? I have a lot of opinions on reform of the church and the crown and I'm going to share them and... What was once the reason Henry fell in love with Anne and was so enamored by her started to become a problem for him because he was like, wait a second, you're questioning me and now you're giving me your unsolicited opinions? Lady, no. That's basically how Henry sounds. (laughs) (laughs) If you marry an independent woman, she's going to be independent after she should. Yeah. Actually, just a little side note, I'm listening to Jay Shetty's book, Eight Rules of Love. Highly recommend for everyone. But it's just so fascinating because I think for a really long time when you grow up, if you watch Disney princess movies or a lot of narratives, it's like it it preaches this idea of codependence and like love is the most important thing. And if you find your partner that it's the most special, important thing, that's all you need in life. But independence and solitude is the most important thing in life. Having your own independence is going to only make a relationship better. Anyway, just a little tangent. Okay, so he was like, you know what? I don't like Anne anymore. I Now she's annoying me. So remember, what did I say that Henry does to those who bother him? Execution. He sends them to the chopping block, literally. But it took some effort. So Anne miscarried in 1534, which is just one year after their marriage. And she was feeling the pressures to give Henry a male heir. There was a lot of tension between the two. And she saw the signs. I mean, she married a man who literally tossed his previous wife for her. So Mm -hmm. there's going to be some repetition of history here. And she was witnessing him execute 500 plus rebels. So people were disposable to him. In I want them to make, Sabrina, you should make this. You should make a movie about Anne Boleyn, but set it in the early 2000s. And then the opening scene is going to be Anne Boleyn in the 2000s going to the chopping block. But the song, I saw the signs and I opened up my eyes. I saw the signs. That's playing. <laughs> that you truly just wanted to be in the 2000s for that song. Strictly. Okay. Yes. It's just reminding me of all the scary movie spoofs. Yeah. And I just feel like Anne Boleyn could have, have a spoof from that era too. Yeah. Give her a moment. The movie, I love this movie, The Other Boleyn Girl. I haven't seen it in years, so I don't know now that I know the history really well. I don't know how accurate it is. 
and I haven't seen it in a while, so I don't remember. But I really loved that movie when I saw it. Um, okay. So in 1536, and seeing the signs, she can tell Henry is not happy with her, but she becomes pregnant again. And so she was like, let's hope it's a boy, because if I can give Henry a male heir, then perhaps we can like, you know, things will be okay. Mm-hmm. But Queen Catherine of Aragon died. And a month later, King Henry was thrown from his horse and badly injured. And apparently in hearing the news, it is said that Anne went into shock and miscarried what was a male child. Oh, no. Yes. And this is also making me wonder, um, again, we, we won't ever know the, the truth, but I do wonder how she viewed their relationship. I know. Because us sitting here, we look back and we're like, Henry was a horrible guy. But for her to go into shock, what was that? What was the reason? Was it yeah. because she truly loved him? Was it because she knew what would happen if he had died? Like what would happen to her? You know? Like right. I, I'm just wondering about her reaction. Or because me sitting here, I'm like, if I had heard that news, knowing everything I do now, right now, I'd be like, hooray. I hope he dies. You know? Yeah. Let's let's have a parade. <laughs> I, it's hard because it's very possible that the way that this was written was because miscarriages were confusing. Like they felt like there needed to be a reason and the timing of it maybe just, you know, yeah. the connection was drawn or I don't know. I don't I don't know. So at this time, Henry's like, you know what? Anne's becoming disposable to me. I don't want her. And at the same time, he was also having continuous affairs And with one woman specifically, he was, again, enamored. It was 28-year-old Jane Seymour. And adding to the disfavor of Anne was the deep love many people in the court had for Catherine Aragon. So when Catherine was, you know, had died, people were just, like, heartbroken. And then, this is interesting, when Catherine was being embalmed, it was discovered that her heart was, like, blackened. So people were like, oh, my gosh, she was poisoned, did Anne Boleyn poisoned her to get her out of the picture. Again, this is before, you know, scientific discoveries, which nowadays it has been discovered that that symptom, like the blackened of the heart, is actually a sign of heart cancer, which is extremely rare, but Catherine Mm. had suffered from. So because they did not know that, they're like witchcraft. Someone cursed her and people didn't like Anne, so she became the easy scapegoat. So – Now came the matter of annulling the marriage to Anne. Yes, the king now reigned superior to the church, but he needed a reason for the annulment. So he made a plan with his advisors. And this this man, I'm just giving a little bit of context because one of King Henry VIII's top advisors was Thomas Cromwell. And he was a huge advocate of getting rid of Anne because Anne knew Thomas Cromwell was pocketing money for himself. So there is some tension between Mm. the two of them. So he had his own selfish reasons to help Henry VIII get rid of Anne. So he was like, all right, I got a plan. Let's arrest a couple people, accuse them and Anne of having adulterous relationships, which is so hypocritical because King Henry VIII is having many affairs. But so... Henry and his advisors arrested five men, including Anne's brother, George Boleyn, on charges of treasonable adultery and having sexual relations with the queen, and on George's account, they accused him of incest. Many of these men were then tortured, using the rack most likely in different um, torture techniques, and forced Mm -hmm. into confessing to these crimes. After their arrests— How horrible. 
and was you can't win in that situation no no i mean if if king henry the eighth could just basically be like "Mm, sorry church get out of here i'm more powerful than you how could any individual person think they could get out of something that the king accuses them of totally that's a great point thank you you can't he's scary yeah no so after these men are arrested Anne is then arrested And it was May 2nd of 1563 and was arrested and taken to the Tower of London. The men were all found guilty and Anne was accused of adultery, incest, and high treason in a plot to kill the king with all of her lovers. So this is very, very sad and also Shakespearean. Remember the man, Henry Percy, that Anne had fallen in love with? Mm -hmm. He was on the jury of peers that unanimously found Anne guilty. No. That hurts my heart. It does. And the last thing she saw was the person that she loved, her first love, send her to be killed. Yes. And while it's heartbreaking, I don't believe he actually turned her ba- his back on her. I believe, similar to what we were just saying, the king was like, hey, you got to do this. There was no, you know, he had no option. Because it's also said that when the judgment was declared in front of everyone henry basically fainted and had to be carried out of the room so he was really heartbroken as well he oh 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 yeah this henry not the no henry not husband and there's a lot of henry i was like (laughs) i think husband henry made this happen yeah that's a show that henry no other henry good henry i do wonder i wonder if Anne and first love henry still had some sort of like love and relationship and friendship with one another and king henry was aware of that and so maybe he purposefully put first love henry in the Uh, the, like cruel with the cruelest intentions on this board i would believe it yeah yeah i would believe that very vindictive yeah an awful awful man so the punishment of these crimes was to be burnt at the stake. But because Anne was of high position and a previous queen, they did her the honor of changing it to a beheading. So on the morning of May 19th, Anne Boleyn was sent to her execution. I can't even imagine the fear you would have preparing for that moment. It's awful. With that cliffhanger, we will come back but first, we want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com forward slash T-G-O-G and get on your way to being your best self. When you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient. It's flexible. It's affordable. It's entirely online. When I had first joined BetterHelp in 2020, I was kind of a wreck and (laughs) needed a ton of flexibility. So sometimes I would meet with my therapist over the phone. Sometimes it was video. Sometimes I was like, I can't. I just need to chat this week. Yeah. Sometimes I was like, can we actually do twice a week? And it it was just really excellent to have those sort of options and that flexibility with the therapy. I much needed yeah. it and I got it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, Therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash TGOG today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash T-G-O-G. Okay. Anne was taken to a scaffold erected on the north side of the White Tower. This is Tower of London. She wore a red petticoat under a loose, dark gray gown trimmed with fur. She made her final walk from the Queen's house, and atop the scaffolding, she only spoke 
kind words of King Henry VIII, stating that he was a good, gentle, and sovereign lord, which is like, oh, heartbreaking because this woman who's so strong and independent has just been tortured, manipulated, and completely broken down by an abusive man. Mm-hmm. But I know. It, is, I, it is said that she gave these words because she wanted to protect her living relatives. And if she had spoken ill of the king, he could have taken yeah. actions against his family. And right. they have a I also daughter like, together. Totally. I, I also like to hope that, that maybe part of the reason she said it too was to keep herself and her image as a a strong and kind person Mm -hmm. so that King Henry wouldn't have even more of an excuse or or like more evidence against why she had to be executed, you know? Like there was... Mm -hmm. There was a sliver maybe in a lot of people's hearts when they saw that. Yeah. That were like, this isn't right. There's also, again, going back to history being written in a biased way, it's very possible that she said something else that was very critical of Henry VIII. And he was oh, like, yeah. scratch that from the history books. <laughs> oh, what an egomaniac oh. Henry was. And so many people in history, really yeah. any position of power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is sad. So in her final moments, Anne's hair was tucked out of the way. She knelt down. One of her ladies tied a blindfold around her eyes and the executioner swung the axe beheading Anne Boleyn with one swift strike. But that was not the end of Anne because her spirit is very much alive and haunting the Tower of London, which I will get to in a moment. Because before I do, Henry had four more wives that we need to talk about. Jeez, Henry. Yes. I wonder what his actual number is of mistresses. Yeah. I don't know. Probably hundreds. It's also believed he had syphilis. There's a whole bunch of things. So within six months of Anne's death, Henry married Jane Seymour, who did birth a male heir, the future Edward VI. But very sadly and tragically, Jane Seymour died 12 days after Edward's birth. So of course, Henry sought to marry again. But this time it was more for political reasons. He married Anne of Cleves in January of 1540 to cement an alliance with the ruler of a Protestant in Germany. Um, it was Anne's brother, basically. Uh, and apparently this marriage only lasted a few days because Henry's eyes fell upon another woman and he was like, I want to marry her instead. This woman was Catherine Howard, but he was married to Anne. So he had to annul it through a bunch of loopholes. And mm-hmm. luckily for Anne of Cleves, she did not have to be executed in order to be annulled of the marriage. She was actually given the title of the king's sister. And she got to live on, like, a beautiful plot of land outside of the realm. The dream. The dream. Which is an enigma. You get set up, you get funded, and you get left alone. Right. I think probably because he wanted to preserve his relationship with this uh, this man of Germany. So he couldn't behead mm-hmm. this Anne. So then there's a bunch of more of executions. It, it, I mean, okay. This is before he marries Catherine Howard. Or maybe it's around the same time. So... There's the Countess of Salisbury, Margaret Pole, who was appointed as one of Catherine's ladies-in-waiting. By 1538, Margaret was the fifth richest person in England and was a Renaissance noblewoman. So, again, a very powerful intellectual woman, which Mm -hmm. to Henry was a threat. So that wealth and intellect led to Margaret's death. 
Margaret was a religious woman who believed in returning to a Catholic government rather than Henry's Protestant one. And because of this, Thomas Cromwell and Henry VIII led a round of arrests in what is called the Exeter Conspiracy. And and basically, they accused all these people of plotting to overthrow Henry for the church. So in May of 1539, Margaret and many others were attained. Margaret's home and possessions were searched, and objects that symbolized her support for the church were found, probably also planted, and she was sentenced to death and to be executed at the king's will. But similar to some of the people we talked about in part one, she spent two and a half years in the Tower of London, attended by servants and given many clothes. And remember Thomas Cromwell, who was part of the reason Anne was executed? Well, he... Something happened with him and King Henry, and he and many other advisors of King Henry fell out of favor and were burnt as heretics. I mean, he was stealing money, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. So perhaps he was caught doing that. And I don't, and Thomas Cromwell, I don't think was a great person. He also was very much like King Henry VIII, selfish, pocketing things, you know, treating people terribly. He was the reason, part of the reason Mm -hmm. Anne was executed. So to me, it's a little bit of comeuppance. Um, And he's also the reason that Margaret Pole was arrested, but he was executed far before Margaret ever was. And then all of a sudden, on the morning of May 27th, 1541, Margaret was shockingly told that she was going to die in the next hour. She was, I mean, horrified because she was like, wait, I've spent two years here. I thought that this wasn't going to happen. She was really, really surprised by it, even though she had been convicted of her crimes and sentenced to death. Right. When you spend two years not being actually you know living this you're not a, life yeah you're like oh maybe it's, it's yeah whatever maybe they forgot about it maybe they won't actually do it it was all just for show yeah but she was taken why why one hour notice why then i don't know I, I again who knows what happened to to make that happen but she was taken from her cell which was a nice luxurious bedroom suite and taken just outside of the white tower And she saw a low wooden block, which was not the typical type of beheadings or scaffolding that had been used for beheadings in the past. There's a little bit of lore around Margaret's death. I'm not really sure, again, if it's true. But there were very few people present at Margaret's execution. So some people believe that she never was executed, but that she was let go. And Henry was told that she had been executed. There's another version that says Margaret was so horrified at this wooden block and like the new manner in which beheadings were to be taken place that she tried to scream and run away and the executioner chased after her with the axe and slashed her shoulder. And then when he eventually caught her, it took 11 strikes to finally behead Margaret Pohl. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. So... Henry VIII got married to Catherine Howard on the day of Thomas Cromwell's execution. Catherine Howard also ended up being Anne Boleyn's first cousin. So there is just a lot of connection and intertwined family dynamics here. And similar to Anne, this marriage to Catherine Howard ends in tragedy and beheadings. During their marriage, Catherine was accused of having multiple affairs, and when Henry's advisors told Henry, he was furious and went into a rage. He basically accused her of this, she was arrested, and Catherine tried to claim that one of the men had forced her into this relationship, but 
there was no hope. All three were executed at the Tower of London on February 13th of 1542. The three were Thomas Culpepper, Francis Dereham, and Catherine Howard. She was beheaded. One year later, Henry betrothed his last wife, Catherine Parr. The two had opposing religious beliefs, but Catherine helped Henry VIII reconnect with his daughters, Mary and Elizabeth. But also in doing so, Henry, like, Henry reconnects with Mary and Elizabeth, his daughters, and then is like, hey, now that we're friends again, and now that, like, you're back in my life, back of the line, and he puts Edward, the child he had with Jane Seymour, next in line to the throne. I didn't realize you could just shuffle people. You couldn't. Henry kind of <laughs> – so Henry makes a rule, and I think I have this in a bit, but um, before he dies, he changes a law in the royal laws. <laughs> I don't know. Handbook. Yeah, whatever it is, that basically the king can put his successor in his will. So it doesn't have to be a bloodline thing. He can choose. Mm. So Henry continued a very selfish and destructive path. Um, but I've spent too much time talking about the fool. So I'll end with this. He died an obese man with gout who needed mechanical devices to help him move. And he was covered in boils and also was believed to have suffered from syphilis and scurvy. And he died on January 28th. So he was in pain. He was in pain. Which he should he be. Yeah. He died on January 28th in 1547. Today, many scientists, doctors, and psychologists have studied Henry some believe he had a traumatic brain injury, and everyone kind of agrees that he's probably the reason why his wives struggled to conceive. It was not their doing. It was him. Um, again, I figured as much. If you have that many people in, in succession that struggle, it's, it's, it's you. It's dude. you. Yeah. It's you. Um, again, I need to just say Henry was an abusive, awful person, husband, ruler, there is no, oh, but he bought his wife's jewels and those things because that is a narrative that is shared quite a bit on the interwebs, and I dislike it greatly. So Henry died, but he had spent most of his reign trying to have a male heir. So when he died, he had left the throne to his then nine-year-old son, Edward VI. Edward succeeded him as king, and it is wild to me that nine-year-olds can be king. Um <laughs> But Edward sadly died six years later at 15 years old. And then Mary took the throne and steered England back into the Catholic fold. And while Mary was in power, she imprisoned her younger sister, Elizabeth, because she was like, I don't want Elizabeth to have power, all of this stuff. And this is uh, the drama. My gosh. Okay. So Edward dies. So much drama. And so much death. So Edward dies and Mary's next in line. But People are terrified of Mary taking power. So basically a group of people, probably some advisors, the Privy Council of England basically decided, okay, how do we prevent Mary from becoming queen? They then found Lady Jane Grey, who is often called the nine-day queen. And they're like, okay, before Edward VI died, he wrote that Lady Jane Grey and her male heirs would be the successors to the crown. Probably made up, but they used that as a way to have Lady Jane Grey be the queen rather than Mary. I think it was mm -hmm. because Mary was Catholic and Edward had continued his father's Protestant reform, you know, reign. And so the advisors didn't want to return back to a Catholic rule. So, yeah, they bring in Lady Jane Grey. Jane was proclaimed queen on July 10th of 1553. She arrived at the Tower of London and she awaited her coronation. But 
something happened and I don't know what, but her favor really quickly faded and she was queen for nine days before the very same council that had chosen her to be queen suddenly changed their mind and were like, actually, no, what? Mary's the queen again. So what happens in nine days? I don't know. I don't know. I do not Unless know. Mary blackmailed them somehow. Who knows? <laughs> so in just a couple nights, Jane goes from being queen to being prisoner. Mary then takes the throne and imprisons Jane, accusing her of treason, even though it wasn't Jane's doing. Like, this was... Yeah. Anyway. She was held in the Tower of London, and Jane and her husband, Lord Guilford Dudley, were found guilty, and the two of them were sentenced to death. It's so sad because it happened so, so quickly, and Guilford, which was Jane's husband, was executed on February 12th of 1554. He was beheaded, and a horse and cart carried his remains back to the tower past Jane Seymour. So Jane had to see her husband's beheaded body. Jeez, um, why do they act like this? It's so cruel. It's It's <laughs> barbaric. It is. It is. So she watches. They take it five steps further every time. Yeah. They're like, how can we outdo what we did last time and be more cruel and more violent? So Jane sees her husband's corpse pass by. She's heartbroken. She's crying and weeping. And then she's taken to the Tower Green to be beheaded herself. Jane was only 16 or 17 years old at the time. She was horror-stricken, terribly confused. And guided Mm -hmm. to her execution site where she looked at the executioner, fear in her eyes, and asked if he was going to take off her head before she could kneel down. He said no. No. And she was blindfolded. And that is – oh, this is so heartbreaking. It is said that she fumbled a bit because she couldn't see. She didn't know where the block was that a deputy had to help her. Oh, gosh. Her murder was unjust. I'm picturing it. And this is just like – I know. Hurting my heart. It's so heartbreaking. It is said that in her final words, she called out Queen Mary for her unlawfulness and then in her final breaths said the same words that Jesus did, Lord, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. She was then beheaded and has been considered a martyr by many. Similar to Anne Boleyn, Jane and her beloved Guilford have never really left the Tower of London grounds. Again, I will get back to that. So, Queen Mary is imprisoning, similar to her dad, imprisoning a lot of people. Um, She imprisons her sister Elizabeth out of fear that Elizabeth will try to take the crown from her. And then Queen Mary dies. So Elizabeth does take the throne and was the longest reigning of the Tudor monarchs. She returned – so where Mary, you know, brought the church, the Catholic church back in when Elizabeth took throne, she restored King Henry VIII's Protestant religious reform – And then she died in 1603, ending the Tudor dynasty, but not ending the Tower of London's reputation as a prison and a place of death and terror, because that continued. Why not? Mm -hmm. Yep. But a haunted place. If You said Anne Boleyn is still there. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many future prisoners encountered her. That's a good question. It's probably hard to know. I wish, I so badly wish that I could read all of these old texts from history just to see Mm -hmm. different narratives. Uh, To understand them. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's a thousand years. So the history that we know is even even though it's all accessible is minuscule because there are probably so many texts and so many little details and so many nuances that we will never be able to have the time to read it all. 
It also makes me wonder, just because so much of history is so many artifacts and journals and paintings are owned by independent collectors, Mm -hmm. it makes me wonder how many people have stuff within their family that has never been, the contents of which never been exposed. And if it would solve anything, if it is a puzzle piece. I know. I would love to find like a secret hidden layer of letters. Yeah. Okay. So after Elizabeth dies, King James I took the throne And it very quickly became clear that he was not going to continue Elizabeth's policy of religious toleration. So a group of rebels and conspirators hatched a plan to blow up the House of Lords and hopefully kill King James in the act. It was set to take place on November 5th of 1605, but someone within the rebellion outed their plan and sent an anonymous letter to the king. So on November 4th, the evening before the rebellion and uh, explosion was supposed to take place, the Parliament House was searched and they caught a man red-handed or barrels of gunpowder handed because Guy Fox was discovered with 36 barrels of gunpowder and taken straight to the Tower of London with the other plotters. They were interrogated, but they were caught very much holding the gunpowder barrels. So there wasn't much they could do to be like, well, I don't know how that got there. <laughs> they were tortured and signed confessions, and then many of them were executed, also at the Tower of London. So much execution. Yes. So I much. wonder, I wish we had, had been counting. A tally. There should be like a tally every time. I think I said in the Someone has been executed. last episode how many. There were like 800 prisoners held within the Tower of London, maybe like 30 to 40 executed actually in the Tower of London property. And then a bunch of others Mm. were executed on the hill of the tower, which is right outside of the property. So Uh, much, so much much death. After King James, King Charles I took the throne and the country descended into civil war to the point where Charles was executed. And Oliver Cromwell had all of the crown jewels in the tower melted down as a like F you to the, to the throne which in the next reign were replaced and made anew. And the changing of hands in royal history has continued since then. Uh, I'm going to kind of wrap up the royal history. That is the Mm -hmm. conclusion of it. But there are still some executions to discuss and some. And then we'll get into the paranormal. (laughs) We're almost there. (laughs) The last beheading at the Tower of London was in 1747. His name was Simon Fraser. And if you are an Outlander fan, you will recognize that name because he is the grandfather of Jamie Frazier, the main lead, male lead Mm -hmm. in the show. And Simon Frazier was executed for his part in the Jacobite uprisings in 1746 and is known as the last man to be beheaded in the UK. But it wasn't the last execution at the Tower of London. During the First World War, 11 men were tried and shot by firing squad in the tower for espionage. And during the Second World War, the tower once again held prisoners, mostly Nazis and German spies. Rudolf Hess, who was Hitler's deputy, was imprisoned here. But this pisses me off. He was given the royal treatment. Literally, he was held in the Queen's quarters and then moved around in different safe houses. He wasn't executed. What? Yeah. That's so un- I mean, I don't want more people to be executed. But there's certain also people feel like <laughs> I yeah, I was like stopping myself from saying that's so unfair because I'm thinking about all the other right. people too. Like who, Anne. Who should have Yeah. Right. 
Like, why did and the poor Anne woman get who was there for two plus years? And yeah. everybody, everybody. Right. Like all these innocent women or and men who are being accused of crimes they didn't commit are yes. being executed. Yeah. Or crimes that should have never held right. that punishment. Right. I agree. The very last man to be executed at the Tower of London was a German spy named Joseph Jacobs. Joseph was found parachuting into the city of London in 1941 and was caught and tried and executed at the Tower of London by firing squad on August 15th of 1941. So that is the last recorded execution at the Tower of London. But it continued to play a very important role in England. Uh, The royal family started to move out and slowly the tower transitioned into becoming a tourist attraction and a hotbed for the paranormal. Yes! Ghost stories! Now that we have had almost three hours of Tower of London history and uh, covered a thousand, a whole millennia of history, what better way to test your knowledge than with a pop quiz, Corinne? Oh, no! <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. I'm kidding. I'm going to try. I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> I was like... I was like, don't confuse the Marys. Then there's <laughs> Isabella. And then there's m- multiple people named freaking Anthony. Uh, no. <laughs> Henry. Mostly Henry's. Henry, Henry Charles. No one's named Edward. Anthony. Yeah, I don't think I said an Anthony. No, I couldn't I re- remember Henry's I name, really though. do appreciate your willingness, though. You, you I just was actually yes. ready. Like, yeah. I think I, I think I would have gotten, if you actually quizzed me, I think I would have been at like 70%. Oh, that's passing. I would have had a solid C in yeah, this class. Yeah, that's impressive. You even like. Having not studied and just regurgitate. Yeah. Back. You truly like, you shifted. You got ready. You got into like a test taking like, position. Okay, focus. <laughs> Come on, brain cell. Let's go. <laughs> I, I think sure I would fight. fail, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what did we talk about last week? What did I research? <laughs> I remember the beef eaters. I keyed. But with thousands of years of history, murder, rebellion, coups, executions, death, it is no surprise that the Tower of London is one of the most haunted places in the world. So I'm going to begin with a myth that isn't quite a myth. So since the time of King Charles II, Ravens have been kept on the property of the Tower of London. I think I love that King Charles was told and he believed that if all of the ravens left the tower, the fortification, the state and the monarchy would fall. So this fear of the fate of the monarchy falling has continued to this day. So to this day, the ravens continue to live and be protected at the Tower of London. The ravens are territorial, like they protect and watch over the tower, and they all have wow. names. There's a there's a raven keeper. There are nine ravens currently to date at the Tower of London. Their names are Jubilee, Harris, Grip, Aaron, Poppy, George, Edgar, and Branwyn. And you can go on the Tower of London website and see photos of all the ravens. You can watch I videos. I was just going to ask. I'm like, is there like a school yearbook <laughs> I, yes. photo page yes. of all the ravens? Yes. Okay, and I have to look this up. There's a video of like baby ravens being hatched and born at the Tower of London. Oh. Um, th- it's really funny because some of the ravens have been like, uh, what's the word? Um, released from their service because of their behaviors like oh yeah but you can look at them 
Oh, of course. The first thing I pick up or the first photo I click on because I'm like, what a beautiful raven. Queen Raven Merlina missing from Tower of London and feared dead. Yeah. The raven. She's been abducted. (laughs) So the ravens respond and report to the raven master who watches them closely and he occasionally will trim their feathers their flight feathers to encourage them to stay on the property, but they can fly freely, which is great. One of them even flew to Greenwich and was found and returned seven days later. So the tower <laughs> the tower has not fallen. Um, the ravens remain there. And I think it's as long as they don't all leave, it's fine. But if like occasionally one of them bops around, mm-hmm. it's it's not the end of the world. Ooh. This is this is the reason for me to go to Tower of London. I want to go see the Raven. Well, there's another reason. Ravens and ghosts. There's yes, and hidden treasure possibly. I'll get to that in a minute though. What? I know, it's everything. They have it all. So the Ravens are kept there. What I love about the Tower of London is that it or just England in general, it is a country of tradition. Like the Ravens mm-hmm. are continuously kept there because of a belief from hundreds of years ago. They still do the, like the beef eaters still do this tradition of like the passing of the queen's keys every single night. There's just so much tradition that has been upkept in England. Yeah, it's, it is nice because even when I think about Boston, there's a lot of demonstrations to show you what it used to be like, but it's not a regular practice right. anymore for certain people. I mean, of course, it's probably because it was all soldiers <laughs> trying to leave the England behind, but still. Right. But yeah, no, that is really magical. It's just seeing, I mean, that's, I think that's why I was so dazzled by New Zealand when I was there because there's just so much history and the Maori people and their culture. I'm just yeah, in love with them. Yeah. Yes. Tradition is great. Uh, I know there's a lot of Mm -hmm. opinions and probably like controversial opinions about the royal family and stuff in England, but as an outside observer, I think there is a lot of beauty in tradition and the history of tradition. I agree. So without further ado, Corinne, I present to thee the ghosts of the Tower of London. There are many and there are countless stories from guards, visitors, and the like who have had firsthand encounters with the paranormal. And there's a reason that I gave you all the vast amount of history that I did because I thought it was important to one, understand the history of the Tower of London, two, to understand the personalities, the characteristics of the key players in the history relating to the Tower of London, and to understand perhaps why they are still haunting this land. Mm. So I will begin with perhaps my favorite. In part one, I told you of the royal menagerie of animals that was kept in the tower. And like I said, very sadly, a lot of the animals were not well taken care of, and many of them met their deaths within the walls of the tower. Well, some of their spirits have not left. All throughout the day and night, people in the tower will report hearing sounds of animals, like monkeys, lions, horses. But none of those animals are kept there currently. Whoa. Yes. One guard reported seeing a horde of horses gallop towards him and then poof, vanish, which would be terrifying to be like standing there and all of a sudden all these horses are coming, charging at you. Oh, stampede of horses. I would shit myself. (laughs) But that is, I was was like, how do do I come out of saying this word? But I was already too deep You were there. Yeah. I was there. 
But that's that's so interesting because I feel like that part of history, and maybe it was just because a thousand years is being condensed into three hours here. Mm -hmm. But I just kind of assumed that the amount of time the animals were there was like, I don't know, sub 15 years. It was definitely more than that. Which is still a lot of time. I think it was more than 15 years and they were not treated well. So the energy there is pretty negative. Yeah. Oh, well, I feel bad for them. This story takes the cake. There was a guard patrolling the tower when all of a sudden a bear appeared And after a moment of staring each other down, the bear charged him. A freaking bear. (gasps) Which is like, this guard is like, what the heck? How, one, how did this bear get here? Two, probably doesn't have time to process any of this. But there's a bear, a freaking bear charging at me. So this guard takes off running and locks himself into a closed room. And somehow this bear passes through the solid door And acting on impulse and adrenaline, the guard tries to bayonet the animal, but the sword simply passed through it. It was somehow existing in the air, but not made of physical flesh and bone. I am not sure how the guard got out of the pickle or, or what exactly happened, but there is a version of the story that says the guard died of shock, but I cannot verify it. I am just so glad that in this moment... The bear wasn't able, the spirit bear wasn't able to actually inflict harm because you and I, Sabrina, have read many emails and heard from people where spirits can scratch, can touch, can shoot a or or throw a knife and actually inflict true pain. So can you imagine if a bear's spirit was suddenly able to break through that barrier and truly inflict that guy could have died absolutely ghost bear i mean in one version he did die so i don't know necessarily i mean whether the bear inflicted actual physical pain if he if the guard did die of shock the bear caused that but clearly to me that indicates that the animals there the bear and all the other animals are attempting to enact some type of revenge there is acknowledgement of Mm -hmm. their ill treatment while they were living there Anne Boleyn, though, is the most persistent ghost at the Tower of London, which does not surprise me given the terrible treatment and death she was handed. But also because it seems very her. Like, it's so Anne to continue to haunt the Tower of London. So Anne. It's so Anne. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it. It's so two thousand early 2000s <laughs> Anne. I'm telling you, her story, you could really fit it into that that period. I think it would be hilarious. Minus the fact that beheadings didn't take place in 2000. No, but that I mean, it's a movie. <laughs> We're reading a movie. It doesn't have to be factual. It could be, yeah, yeah. Um, inspired by. Inspired by the 1500s. <laughs> it's also, I mean, if you think of Anne and who she was in her in her life, she was strong-willed, intelligent, um, stood her ground, and fought for her opinions. So it's no surprise to me that she would be like, you know what? I am going to continue to haunt all you beaches. Mm-hmm. She has been seen wandering the Tower Greens, and she's also been seen carrying – well, she's been seen as a headless body carrying her head by her side at <gasps> her hip. I like that move as a ghost. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. But this story is my favorite about Anne because, again, it's so her. One night, the captain guard at the Tower of London saw a light flickering in the chapel royal. It was late, and the chapel is usually locked. So he's very confused and is like, I need to go investigate. And he was not expecting what he found. As he opens the door, he looks in and sees a procession of knights and ladies dressed in beautiful old-timey gowns and clothing. And there, at the head 
as all of these knights and ladies are processing towards is Anne Boleyn. He recognized yes, her Anne. immediately. He had seen portraits of Queen her. Queen of the Posse. Oh, all of these spirits on the other side are basically like recognizing Anne as their queen. And they're all processing towards her. And this guard is like, oh my gosh, I am witnessing a royal situation from the other side. And then poof, they were all gone. How incredible is that? Yeah. That is a story that guy will tell. Forever. Everybody that he knows. Yes. All of his his great-grandchildren will be talking about yes. this experience. It's so fascinating. I mean, it's like how we've heard stories of people going into a room or hearing like a party of paranormal spirits but this is like Anne finally – like she probably wants to stay because in the the other side, she is the queen and, and people love her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Tower of London is a cool place to be. It so, is. Although there was a lot of – well, and also like from a spirit perspective, maybe because she's so strong-willed and such a empathetic person, it sounds like, perhaps she stayed a bit longer to try to make a difference, to try yeah, to maybe. help people. I don't know. Or maybe she was just like, screw this. I'm going to stay in this freaking tower. Right. I also and like – about my the rest of my astral life here. I also like to picture her shepherding other executed women to the other side and taking them under her wing and being like, it's okay. Mm, yeah. That's beautiful. Anne's ghost has been seen in many locations throughout England, not just the Tower of London, which, again, I've covered in episode 160 if you want to learn more about Anne's spirit. Henry VI, who in part one I told you all was stabbed while praying in the Wakefield Tower, continues to haunt the Tower of London. And he's often seen at the last stroke of midnight, but doesn't really interact with people. He's more just seen. Lady Jane Grey, the nine-day queen, is seen wandering the battlements alone, which makes me really sad because her husband, if you remember, her and her husband were both executed and she had to witness her husband's body be carried mm -hmm. past her before she was executed. Yes. It is said that Lord Guilford Dudley is also seen at the tower. So it's sad that they are not seen together. And so some people theorize that they are lost looking for one another. And that's why they continue to oh. like be there. And which breaks my heart because so they see Jane wandering the grounds and then they will hear they'll see Lord Guilford, but they also hear him crying and weeping in the cell that he was kept in while he was w awaiting his execution. And this makes me so sad. One night they heard the crying and the next morning when a guard went to that cell, the word Jane was etched into the wall. <gasps> ooh, ooh, chills. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, these poor people. I know. Come on. Give them some reprieve. Let them see each other in the afterlife. Which then – How does that work? I, how are two spirits right there? Are there different levels of that plane? I mean. Are they like just – It's so hard to know. Like, yeah, if they're both existing on the other side, why can't they connect with one another? It does make me think, mm -hmm. similar to how there are alternate realities or people believe there are alternate realities to this one and like sometimes we glitch between them. Are there different dimensions within the paranormal plane? So they're just like overlapping yeah. that they don't – they're not in the same one. They miss each other. Which is heartbreaking. Right. There is then Margaret Pohl, who I just spoke about, the one who it said that it took 11 strokes for her execution. Um, that horror 
has stained the tower green. And so this is, I hope it's just residual and it's not her continuing to live this, but a lot of people have reported seeing the brutal scene reenacted countless times. If you go there Mm -hmm. and you see a spirit, you're going to see the dark history. It's not always just getting to see Anne Boleyn and her posse. There's abused people and animals and people living out these horrific events that happened to them. Yeah, I mean scary to think about there's a lot of negativity and darkness that has taken place at the tower of london so it is inevitable inevitable that you're going to see the spirits of horrific events we need the beef eaters to email us and let us know what they've seen they've seen a lot they've seen a lot i'm sure as expected with a historic castle-like structure there is a lady in white and a gray lady so speaking of queen isabella who smelt really bad The white lady apparently has a very, very terrible odor that accompanies her. Some have said it's like an overwhelming, terrible smelling perfume. Maybe it is just bad BO, but it makes people sick. Like people get nauseous and dizzy. The gray lady spends most of her time in the queen's house and she only appears to female visitors. So it's not clear who these two women are. There's a woman, Arabella Stewart, who also haunts the queen house. It was said that she was imprisoned in the tower by King James I, very much like Rapunzel. I think he kept her there because she wanted to marry someone and he didn't approve. Um, And she died in the tower, either from starvation or other people say she was murdered. Guy Fox, the guy who was found with the barrels of gunpowder, his spirit can be heard screaming in the council chamber. And what you remember the two princes, Edward and Richard, who were mysteriously had gone missing and were murdered and possibly their their bones, skeletons were found. Um, mm-hmm. It is said that they have been seen on the property as well. There's a report of two shadowy childlike figures holding hands, walking around the grounds and have been seen like walking through walls. Oh, I like that they're holding hands. Yeah. They're just enjoying the day together. They're together. Then King Henry VIII's armor is also extremely haunted. And keep in mind, King Henry VIII is a terrible, terrible dude. So the haunting associated with his armor is also pretty terrible. So Mm. it is kept – you can actually visit this armor. It's kept at the Tower of London and it's on view for public. Um, it is. Th- Did you see it when you were there? I don't remember. It was so long ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. The last time I was there is 2011. So I don't remember. 12 years. It's hard to remember all the yeah. details from that long ago. Exactly. So the temperature around the armor is said to be dramatically colder. And guards who have been in charge of looking after the suit have been attacked by psychic forces that chokes them. One guard said that he was standing by the armor and all of a sudden felt this like almost as if a hood was put or a cloak was put over his head and felt strangulation around wow. his neck. Um, and red strangula- strangulation marks were left on his neck. <gasps> no. Yeah. This makes me wonder if maybe it was someone who was very close to, I don't know the job titles, but basically like whoever was in charge of the lead guy in charge of protecting King Henry VIII. I wonder if maybe this is his spirit. Oh. And by being near King Henry VIII's armor, it's basically like a threat to his person. Hmm. And so maybe this guy's spirit is having such a strong, like visceral reaction to anyone going near it. And so his spirit is like tied. Oh, interesting. To this armor. Yeah, that's possible. I just asso- I-, I assumed it was just King. Henry VIII, but you're right. Like, why is why would he just be choking everyone willy nilly? 
Um, because he never did the choking. Right, that we know he of. had I'm other sure people do it behind closed doors. You're right, but you are right. Anyway, they've moved the armor multiple times, but the hauntings continue. Doesn't matter where it is, and so you can go visit it at the Tower of London. It is on display. Wow, which is so interesting. I kind of feel like the Tower of London is kind of like Zach Bagan's haunted museum. There's just so much going on. Yeah, there's so many different, and items. you could be choked out <laughs> at any time. Yeah. God, I want to know what the ravens see, too. Oh, probably so much. Are they friends with all the ghost animals? Oh, that did the ravens who not return to the Tower of London, did they see some stuff that they were like, I can't, I can't come I back I gotta here. go. There's some weird things happening in the astral plane, and I gotta get I out of here. I gotta get out of here. I don't know. But the poor guards seem to be tormented most often. I mean, they spend most of the time there more than anyone else. Yeah. The armor is scary enough, but there is a petrifying spirit that follows the guards as they walk their patrols. And it kind of reminds me of the creeper. No one's really seen it, but as they're walking, they feel this evil presence following them and stalking them through um, the tower. And everyone who has experienced it can agree that they're like, it does not feel human. It feels evil. It feels Mm -hmm. beyond our understanding of human and it feels like it means to hurt us one man a guard saw two medieval looking men smoking clay pipes by the fireplace in byward tower and they all made eye contact so the two men by the fireplace made eye contact with the guard the guard made eye contact with them and there was like a clear acknowledgement and all of a sudden the two men like disappeared and the guard was like what just happened (laughs) like we very clearly just acknowledged each other and we're very surprised. And so he, this was really fascinating to me. He was like, did I just see the past or did the past just see the future? <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. That's so weird. Right? It's hard. Yeah. Because I mean, if maybe both. Maybe both. Because if time isn't linear, yeah. then it's just a, a glimpse into something that everything everywhere all at once. It's all at once. It's all happening. But you just kind of catch the glimpse. It is interesting something like this where and like the same the same for kind of glitch in the matrix stories where people might encounter like a party or a, a bar of, of celebratory people and, and they'll see multiple spirits all at once and then the spirits disappear yeah. all at once. And so it makes me curious about like what's controlling that. Is it something in the astral plane? Is it something in in terms of like dimension and time? And so just as quickly as we see something, we can't see it anymore all at the same time. Or do spirits have some sort of like, I'm going to disappear in two seconds. You got to disappear in two seconds too. Because what if one, like I'm just picturing like, what if he was watching this and one guy left and then the other ghost was just like, oh, shoot. And then disappeared too, you know? Right. Why do they always go together at the same moment? Well, that makes me think. long-winded to get there. That that part makes me think that it was a a weird rift in time. Yeah. There is a story of Archbishop Thomas Beckett, who was assassinated in 1170 by King Henry II. They were close friends, and then they fell apart due to religious disputes, which seemed very common throughout history. So King Henry II had Thomas killed. And then, I don't know what year this was, but there was a renovation going on at the Tower of London, I think more in recent years. Mm-hmm. And they were planning to build a new structure. But Beckett's ghost seized the opportunity to make a point. So construction began, but every morning when the workers got back to what they had worked on the day before, it was completely taken apart. Mm-hmm. And this continued to happen. That's so much work. Yes. So it continued to happen. And I think they set like an overnight patrol to be like, what is going on? And someone witnessed the spirit of Thomas Beckett, brick by brick, taking apart the construction. <laughs> oh, 
So it was then decided. Thomas had to be so pissed about oh, what they were doing to spend that, mu- that time every day, brick by brick. It's not like he can just do the little like snap of right. our fingers and it's all different. It's and that takes a brick lot by brick. of energy. Yeah. So again, this might be a little bit of lore. I'm not sure, but I enjoy this story. Um, it is said that they then decided to build a chapel rather than um, whatever building they were planning to build. And Beckett no longer took the building apart and has been happy, has not been seen since. There are countless stories of ghosts at the Tower of London. These are the main stories. Um, You can probably look up more online. You can also visit the Tower of London today. It was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1988. And the tower has 2 million to 3 million annual visitors. That is so many people. And... Corinne, I teased you about this earlier, but if you happen to visit, you might discover some hidden treasure. That's right, because it is said that the Tower of London has buried gold. As the story goes, Sir John Barkstead, a former lieutenant of the tower, hid 20,000 gold coins somewhere on the property. Okay, so it's not necessarily within the walls of the tower, but it could be on the hill. It could be, it could be anywhere. Somewhere in the dirt. Uh, it has not been found. Someone's got to go in there with a, a metal detector. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> we need those treasure hunting shows to I know to go through. I bet it's just like you couldn't take it. Maddie though. from no, but I was just thinking we were talking about when we were when we were on the most haunted city on earth podcast. Yeah. Maddie was talking about that one show where they're doing treasure hunting in Alaska yes. on that one island, and they're trying to find this treasure, and it's like this super old abandoned There's like mine. My- Mind. explosions like yes landmines that's what i was looking for. yeah it's it's an old military base yeah. but it just makes me wonder why people like that like that collective who are clearly able to they're experts in treasure hunting and able to to navigate all of the mines and, right. and some some more treacherous terrain why can't they just go onto the lawn i know <laughs> the tower of london and find the treasure I bet there's also a bunch of other things buried there that they're like, we don't want people to find these things. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. So the crown jewels are also on display at the Tower of London, but I don't recommend taking any of those. Someone did try. And I don't know. Really? And I don't know how this story has not been turned into a movie. But there is a man named Thomas Blood who attempted to steal the crown jewels in 1671. And I think this is the only attempt at stealing the crown jewels at least that has like somewhat been executed. That's surprising. Thomas Blood was believed to be a double agent. So he used those skills in an audacious plot to steal the jewels. He spent nearly a year in a disguise and continuously visiting the crown jewels. He befriended the guards. He like started buying them gifts, all of these things. Like he was invited to their family, like holidays. He truly dedicated himself to this. Whoa. And the day of the theft... He created such a chaotic scene that it is truly shocking to me that he thought he could get away with it. He was caught and he was interrogated. And somehow, this is to me so wild. Somehow, this man must be so charming. He talks himself out of it. He's freed and given land. Yeah. What? 
This is very Nicolas Cage national treasure. Yes. There is some belief that he, because he was a double agent, like they still needed him to do whatever his spy work was. Oh, so maybe maybe the backstory was made up of like he was given land and and put over here basically to protect maybe the new identity too oh. that he had consumed, assumed. Or maybe he had done a lot of fact finding missions that really helped the government that they were like, okay, you, you know what? These two things kind of just, uh, yeah. Put you on your land with your chickens yeah, in the just hills. Stay over and here. Just need to shut up and yeah. <laughs> leave us alone. Yes. So, the Tower of London is an incredible place. It holds the riches of history and it is also quite mysterious. History and mystery, as Corinne called it. Spirits, tales, bones, they're all being unearthed to this day. Actually, in 2019, 500 year old skeletons of a woman and child were found under the Tower of London's chapel. 1,000 years of history lives within the walls of the Tower of London. And now that we have covered all of that in three, three hours? Over that. I think it's four hours. Oh, my gosh. these two episodes combined. Well, then you all know everything about 1,000 years of history. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I definitely missed hundreds of thousands of things and information. Um, But for 29 euros and whatever the flight and travel costs – You can go visit the Tower of London yourself (laughs) and feel the weight of history firsthand. It is said to be palpable that the energy there is thick, dense, sad, overbearing, and sometimes violent. And that is the story, the history, and the mystery, the ghosts, the ghouls, the good, the bad of the Tower of London. Wow. Dang. Good job. That was amazing thank you this has made me really i had no desire really to go to london there was like nothing calling me there and now i feel like i want to go just to see the tower of london yeah i need to see well but at the same time i'm a little scared because i'm like what if i encounter that creeper like creature or a bear yeah it does sound like something i don't want to see it is mostly the The guards guards. because they live there um They're around more often. Yeah. Covering more ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's probably, I mean, there are so many visitors visitors there daily that I imagine there's probably a lot of paranormal things happening, but because there are so many people, it's easy to miss. Like if a woman walked oh. by that's a ghost, you might just think it's a, a regular other visitor. Totally. Totally. That makes, that does make me wonder like how many times we, people just see ghosts and don't realize it, you know? Because unless yeah. you're one-on-one or you're in a creepy setting and you're hypervigilant or a small setting, you might – like even hiking. Anywhere. What if you're hiking and you and you think you just see someone kind of like at the end of the trail and then you don't see them anymore? That's a normal thing because people – Yeah. You know, it's it's easy to like not see someone who's ahead of you on the trail anymore. You kind of like lose each other. Right. What if that was a ghost? It could have been. We don't know. We never know. We probably see people all the time. Yeah. Okay. So I was – shocked that we truly don't have any Tower of London emails. Ugh. So call to action for our listeners. If you've seen something, we had we had one email that was like, I had to leave the Tower of London because of what happened and then didn't elaborate on oh, what happened. Okay. So I'm like, we, we had some teasers. We know people have experienced yes. stuff, but we haven't received any emails. Hmm. So call to action. If you've been there and you experienced or saw something, please let us please. know. But to, to tide us over, I pulled an email from someone who lives in, in the London area. Oh, so we okay. can still be within the vicinity of, well, really just where all this history yes, happened. Yes, there's a lot. This is called The Ghost Children in the Attic. Oh. Not oh. too spooky. Okay. <laughs> it sounds spooky, but 
It sounds very spooky. Greetings, ghostesses. I myself am not very sensitive to the paranormal and can be a little too skeptical, but my highly sensitive family balances me out. The encounter is not one I personally had, but this is my mom's cousin who I just call my aunt. For context, that side of the family has lived in England for centuries and is highly sensitive to the supernatural world. So the encounter. My aunt is a very eccentric woman who definitely has a strong connection to the unknown and sometimes unseen world. The house that she lived in during this encounter was in the countryside outside of London, and this took place when she was around 13 or 14 years old. It was a large house with two floors and an attic that you could actually walk around in, but at the time it was being used for storage. She told me that while she was sleeping in her second floor bedroom, while her brother slept in the room across the hall, she would lie awake and hear light noises coming from above her in the attic. Initially, she suspected rats or a cat that had gotten (laughs) in through the opening. After all, it was a really big house, but after a week or two of this, it was getting on her nerves, especially because her brother claimed that he couldn't hear a thing and she thought it was him messing with her. Then, one night, while the old sounds were happening once again, a new sound emerged from the attic. Laughter. Oh. Not just one source either. It sounded like several children laughing right above her. There was no way anyone could be living in the upstairs as her dad had been up there earlier that day and saw nothing. There would be running steps, then laughing, and then running again like they were playing a game of tag. Oh. She lay there frozen for a second before feeling a sense of calm come over her, and then she fell back to sleep. While my immediate thought was a demon compelling (laughs) her to pass out... She assured me that it was a warm and comforting feeling. Eventually, she asked her parents about the house, not mentioning the ghost children just yet. They said the house had originally been a schoolhouse, but a fire had destroyed most of the building decades before. They didn't mention anything about deaths in the fire, but given what she heard, it is a possibility. Yeah. After being restored, the building was turned into a viable home that traded hands until her parents bought it. While she went to boarding school soon after, which I'm sure was haunted as well, (laughs) She said that hearing the ghost children in the attic changed how how she felt about the supernatural. While I asked my mom about it, she casually said, oh, yeah, I remember that house. I could hear children in the attic. Oh, apparently she also heard the ghost children during during a summer visit in England. She, too, is sensitive to spirits and wary of inviting the supernatural world in. Because of this, she recently gave me this gem of advice. Mira, don't do drugs and stay away from Ouija boards. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Thank you for reading, ladies. Stay spooky, Mira. <laughs> Take your pills. Don't fuck your cousins. Stay away from Ouija boards and don't do drugs. Four simple rules. There you go. The four rules. Two girls, one ghost. Um, Jay Shetty rules. has the eight rules of love. We have the four rules of living. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Take your pills. Don't fuck your cousin. Don't do drugs and stay away from Ouija boards. Yep. That's hilarious. I like that. When we eventually, because we're manifesting it, when we eventually have places where we get to have giant decked out studio recording spaces. Yeah, of course. Let's make that a frame poster. (laughs) Four rules of living. The four rules of living. I love it. I love it. I like okay, it. as for the story, I love the idea of an old schoolhouse being turned into a home. I am very sad that there was a fire that potentially killed some children, and that is why they are still there. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like they are enjoying their time together in the past or in the uh, in the other realm on the other side. So that's mm-hmm. reassuring. But it is it is still sad. It is. My hope is that 
they didn't die yeah. there. It's just these kids just had such a fun time in this school that they just returned there. Or in the astral plane. And we also don't understand how spirits work. Yeah. So <laughs> what do we maybe know? they have moved on and then every once in a while they come back for a field trip to the school. <laughs> or like we were talking about in the Tower of London episode or <laughs> moments ago. We're still in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> I meant in that portion of the episode about how like when the guards saw the two men, like, is this just a, a weird timeline glitch or mm-hmm. like where the children laughing is truly just like a moment that is existing simultaneously, but in a just in the past, but now. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> my brain. I saw it. I saw it get uh, a little knotted there. It did. I haven't had coffee yet, so I can't have existential questions How? directed at me or near it's me. It's like 3 p.m. How have you not had coffee? I don't know. My I. My, I have such a bad headache. <laughs> I've had. I tried to not have it today and it failed. So I'm going to get some. Yeah, go get some. I I have been drinking. This is my second full thing of coffee. So I've got I've got us wow. covered. She be pooping today. Woo! <laughs> That's the goal. Drink your bean juice. Drink your bean juice. As a girl with constipation. Drink your bean juice. Yes. A poop is You were exciting. just saying that. <laughs> drink your bean juice. I like that we're both dancing. Nah, drink your bean juice, poop whenever you want. Drink your bean juice, poop all the time, yeah. Drink your bean juice, have more stomach problems than blame it on other things. <laughs> I am deceased. <laughs> You're like, my stomach has been hurting so bad. And you're having like the equivalent of four cups of coffee. In this giant tumbler. Okay, I'm gonna blame it on something else right now because I'm about to get my period, and whenever I'm about to get my period, I my stomach hurts quite a lot. Also, because I probably eat a lot more sugar because I'm craving it. So, it you know it's this there we go. It's this cycle of uh, self destruction. Well, uh, I thought you were gonna say womanhood and womanhood <laughs> self destruction. You know, actually, you know what? what it's not about? self. It's not self inflicted. It is. Mother nature inflicted. You're right. It's womanhood. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, <laughs> happy to be here with with, uh, <laughs> with all on of Earth you. and with all of you. Yes. Thanks for joining us for this massively long two-part episode of The Tower of London. It's so good. So good. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I love the history, so I know that I dumped a lot on people, but I hope it was digestible and followable. I mean, I was ready for the pop quiz. I think it was very clear. <laughs> so okay that was great as long as you get it that's what matters yes yes okay if you have a ghost story from the tower of london please email us or any experience with the paranormal our email is two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com you can also rate and review on itunes or wherever you listen and word of mouth yes this is a pyramid Pyramid. scheme and if you want to be be part of the triangle you got to tell two people (laughs) at least claim your point at least at least buy merch you know no there we go pay patreon things things thank you to all of you for listening thank you so much to our editors and the whole team at upfire digital we're very grateful for your support and we will see you on the other side